0: Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and friends beyond the binary, um, all my patrons, uh, thank you uh, for taking the, the putting the ram- taking the bramble out of the ramble, uh, as they say. Uh, thanks for keeping the show going, and good night. Uh, hey, are you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble staying to sleep, Because welcome, you said because welcome uh, you could be my poor cousin, uh, so, uh, welcome, it's time for Sleep With Me, the podcast that puts you to sleep, what we do is a bedtime story, alls you need to do, or alls you could choose to do, or I guess, ideally, alls you need to do is get in bed, turn on the lights, and press play, uh, though you don't have to do any of those things, uh, you could get on the couch, leave on the lights, and pull up the covers, uh, and you probably say, Scoots, I already pressed play, because you're talking. I say, well, good point, point taken. Uh, all you need to do is get him mid I'm going to do the rest. Uh, this part is like uh, kind of true. I'm going to do the rest. What I'm going to do is I'm going to send my voice. Is that what I say next across the deep, dark night? Uh, and try to distract you. I'm going to try to create a safe place where you can set aside whatever's keeping awake. That's what I was supposed to say. Uh, whether it's uh, thoughts, uh, feelings, uh, physical sensations, changes in time or temperature, routine, you know, routines can be a change, uh, se- seasonal changes in routine. I'm, I'm I'm, literally, yeah, I guess maybe I could talk about that because uh, I'm trying to get my routine back. And uh, seasonal, you know, whatever's keeping you like, it could be stuff you're thinking about. Uh, it could be stuff from the past, present or future. Or it could just be spreadsheets. Uh, could I don't know why I always use that as an example. Just because I find them so baffling, I'd say, uh, oh, boy, do I need, a, like, a, a, am I utilizing spreadsheets? And I could say, oh, hum. Yeah, uh, maybe, maybe my uh, lifetime. So you know, I'd be happier if I use more utilize spreadsheets and more uh, if I did, or PowerPoint, any of those things, or sheets and docs and uh, Flicks or whatever they're called uh, slides. But instead of spreadsheets, you know, I'm here to smooth sheets. Uh, That's what I do in, you know, like uh, the good kind of ruffling. You know, you're not supposed to ruffle feathers, but you could ruffle sheets. It's kind of an essential part of getting, you know, they say, don't get your sheets ruffled. I'd say, actually, no offense, but that's a great way to, you know, aerate your sheets. You could call it aerating them. You get them ready. And then that's how you get them on, uh, I I guess sheets don't get clogged, but you'd say, the energy could get clogged in the sheets. Uh, believe me, I feel like that sometimes. Uh, and that's why I ruffle my sheets or, or puffle them. Ruffle them, puffle them. Uh, but, uh, oh, uh, whatever keeping you like, I'd like to take your mind off of that. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to send my voice across the deep, dark night. I'm going to use the lulling, soothing, creaky dulcet tones, pointless meanders, superfluous tangents, uh, us uh, and I's, uh, pa- random pauses, uh, thoughtful pauses, uh, thoughtless pauses, and just darn pauses. And, you know, pa- pauses, uh, gratuitous pauses. Oh, boy, am I into that. Uh, Some of times you will say, Scoots, how come your uh, uh, podcast is labeled E for, uh, uh, ex- I say, well, the, all the gr- gratuitous pauses, like uh, the ratings board. They said, "Are, are you you're, you're ruffling people's uh, sheets with all those gratuitous pauses?" And I'd say, hubba, hubba, hubba. Oh boy, so I'm pandering now to, to the uh, pa- pa- pandering to pauses. Uh, if you're new though, let me just catch you here. A few things: this podcast is very goofy, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, it's here to be your companion. As you fall asleep and maybe barely put a smile on your face, uh, to keep you company as you drift off. Now, structurally, if you're new or if you're a regular listener, the show starts off with about four minutes of business. Uh, Then there's a 12-minute intro. Then there's about four more minutes of business. Then there's about a 45 or 50-minute bedtime story. And then there's some thank yous at the end. That's the structure of the show. And even more on the structure, the intro is a show, it's like a big part of people's bedtime routine. It's just something that's evolved over the years. I was just working on some early episodes uh, uh, for something on Patreon, and and, uh, I said, wow, the intros used to be like around four minutes or so, but people need a bedtime routine, and I'm proud to be a part of people's bedtime and wind-down routine. Uh, you know, so so that you can ease your way into sleep. And and usually that's by me, you know, talking nonsense while you brush your teeth, you know, making as many pause, you know, pause based jokes, brambles and rambles, uh, whatever it is, uh, to try to lighten the mood at bedtime. So that's what the intro is, is a friendly voice is familiar because I try to explain the podcast to new people. But it's different every time, because that's what seems to be the, what the regular listeners are like. But though, there are a few regular listeners that skip ahead to the story. And usually it's about, about 18 minutes if you skip ahead. You, you might catch some of the end of the intro and in the business, which keeps the show going, and then the story. Uh, tonight, instead of a story, it'll be a recap of uh, The Good Place, the, uh, Janet's episode, which I, they, they snuck one by me, those, uh, those geniuses at the good place, because I thought last episode was the, uh, mid season finale. Turns out they had one more piece of brilliance for us. And what an episode it was. Now, this recap won't reflect all of the brilliance that was in that episode. It'll be more about, uh, what did I see on the computer screens? Oh, couldn't understand that. Uh, that made me think of this. What a, what a, it, like so, I'll just be barely recapping it and mostly going off topic, uh, so that you can fall asleep. You say, "Well, I'm not, I don't want to be spoiled." I say, "Well, I don't think you'll really remember much of what I'm saying." Also, it, 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 these episodes, you, you'll be spoiled when you see the brilliant performance uh, performances by one particular actress and a familiar friend from uh, other TV shows. So, so uh. That'll be what spoils you in a good way. So that's uh, the structure of the show. If you're new, uh, here's a couple of things. This podcast is more like a puffy cloud uh, than a a sensible bedtime story. You know, you see, well, okay, it's full. Well, clouds aren't full of hot air, but I kind of am, ideally. It's pretty warm in here. I'm nice and toasty as I'm doing this. Uh, so don't try to make too much sense of the podcast. Give it a few tries. I mean, you don't have to. There's plenty of other sleep whispers. They're sleepy. Uh, there's a lot of other sleep with me, like podcasts or um, uh, other stuff out there to put you to sleep, but this show is particular in its goofiness. Uh, so if Goofy had a podcast, uh, it would probably be not sleep-inducing because it would mostly be Goofy I don't know if anybody knows. Goofy is like one of the Disney characters. Kind of seems like Goofy uh, never got with the times, and uh, maybe I, don't, I know. I think there was a show Goof Troop, but uh, and I'm not saying this like I like a Goofy. Like uh, Goofy, you know what? What uh, you know, voice over actors and actresses that specialize in yodels—they never had a uh, until Goofy. They never had like they say, "Well, your voice or so your voice over actor, huh?" Yeah, what do you what do you specialize in? Like, uh, you know, like uh, yo, like any punctuating things with yodels? Wow. Well, uh, can you talk uh, like uh in a goofy way? Because uh, here, there's a job opening up. Uh, wait, you're kidding me? The go- the, the goofy where goofy uh, drops his recording equipment and then. Yep, we actually I'm in the middle of making a sleep podcast. Believe it or not, brain. Uh, sorry to go off on your fan fiction about uh, whatever story you're writing about a voice actor. Like, uh, it's interesting, barely. Uh, but I think I don't even know. I think I was explaining to new listeners they don't need to listen to me, which I think they probably figured out there. Uh, because I don't even know where my thoughts just uh, went off topic there. I do like Goofy. but And I guess as you're finishing my point, uh, Goofy... It doesn't seem like uh, it's popular anymore, uh, which I could see because like, Goofy needs to be part of a team. I guess, what am I doing now? I'm going and now I'm making a pitch. Uh, you see, Goofy's more like it'd be like if you had Laurel and, or Hardy by themselves, uh, really a lot more work. Uh, you'd say, well, without Stan or in, oh, who are those people? Let me think of comedy teams nowadays. Uh, uh, like, uh, uh Key and Peel, I guess they're both doing good though. Uh, so that doesn't make sense either. Uh, hmm, other kind of, uh, my mind, how do I like, they did not know of any other uh, comedy teams off the top of my head? Also, though, they're not a cartoon comedy team, they're a real t- comedy team, really successful, uh, both as a team and now uh, as individuals. So I guess all I'm saying is, uh, sorry goof uh sorry but I gotta get back to it. so you don't you don't need to listen to me. I tend to go off topic and not make a lot of sense uh yeah but you also there's no pressure to fall asleep in this a uh, strange way. I'm here to keep you company as you drift off or uh, to keep you company if you can't drift off uh, so I'm gonna be here till the very end. I'm your boyfriend because I've been there tossing and turning last night uh, particularly again. I get, I'm trying to think of where like uh, I just couldn't fall asleep. I think I didn't have my full bedtime routine, and then it was, it was after midnight, and and I didn't start my bedtime routine until like eleven thirty seven, uh, which was just reading. So I think, and then I said, well, I have to be asleep. I can't be awake before after midnight. Uh, who am I like uh, like a, one of like a, whoever sings those Miami Vice songs or whatever? Uh, I can't think of their name, but, but, uh, and I said, okay, I got to get to, so I couldn't sleep last night, basically. So I've been there. I know how it is and, uh, I want to help. And if you can't sleep, I'll be here to keep you company, uh, because like I said, I I know what it feels like there too, Uh, but you don't need to listen to me. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And most regular listeners say, Hey, it takes a few tries before this podcast, uh, you realize, oh, okay, I, I get it because I don't get it. It doesn't work for everybody. So if it doesn't work for you, I'm sorry. Like I said, I listened to a couple other podcasts you could check out. Uh, but I really appreciate your time. I work very hard. I yearn and I strive to help you fall asleep. Thanks so much. All right, everybody, we're talking about the. what I saw. I didn't realize this episode was coming, but this is the mid-season finale of uh, The Good Place. Uh, episode 9, Janet, uh, 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 Janet, and then S, Janet. So the S is in parentheses. Uh, and this was a treat because I thought the last episode was the, the season finale when they went into Janet's Void. But this takes place within Janet's Void. And it starts with a zoom of Michael. He's doing air squats, uh, his hair. Is my hair still amazing? He's back in his uh, suits, a really nice suit, kind of a darker royal blue color. Uh, His shirt is like almost, I guess I wish I had more words than lavender for it, but a pocket square and shirt in a lavender type color. I don't know what this says. Ties make a competent corrugated Oh, some of the colors that complement Janet's colors. Uh, his pocket square also has, like, what seems to be some polka dots. I'm pretty sure I have some bow tie commentary somewhere on here. A Trio Holy Cow. What does that mean? Uh, Pooples wear blue. Oh, tie Holy Cow. It, his tie is really nice. It has purples. Oh, yeah. Whites and blues. Uh, here I put this jacket is almost a perfect blue, and then we find out that there's four more Janets. Uh, uh, that 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 are humans are now Jan. I guess they're not humans anymore because they're post-life humans. Uh, they're Janets. Uh, I think it goes Jason, Eleanor, Cheedy, and Tahani uh, from left to right, uh, and then they say, "Okay, uh, that one, Jason, open." Uh, I'm not sure what that is but Janet changes them into outfits that are more suiting of their characters uh really amazing acting holy cow what a what a performance uh by Darcy uh, Carden. And uh, really uh, let's see so we have jason i wish you uh, chapter thirty six uh, uh next beat uh, uh but still a great thing yeah, four Janets addressed as their essences, reconstituted. I licked that word. I, I didn't have a chance. I didn't look that one up, though, because there's so much interesting stuff to look up here. What some of this writing is uh, next, uh, boat, next but, but, but still, and it's probably stuff Michael's saying, uh, like, uh, uh, but then Janet makes a living room in her void for the humans—a sofa, one w- with one chair, a painting, a floor lamp, a side table. I think with a desk lamp, a coffee table. Uh, Jason, Janet's messing around. He calls a sofa. Uh, interdimensional discussions. On the coffee table, there's these three gi- giant glass things. I don't know if they're decorative. They look like giant jelly beans. Uh, like, a, And then there's also a wooden box with carving on it. Uh, but basically, uh, they're stuck in... Humans are in the void, and uh, Michael and Janet are going to go to the accountant's office. They go there, and they meet neutral Janet, who's the blank sheep of the family... And Janet has a, her, she says, I can throw shade now. And they say, Geez, we want to see the head accountant. We'd like to uh, see him uh, something, poster for, oh, for, 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 there's a wanted poster for the four humans. Uh, and it's a dot matrix printed poster, a poster wanted for processing or something. There's two kinds of languages on the poster. This is a cork board. There's also a memo from uh Matt to everyone. Uh something like about uh it it it's a, there's also a, another pink memo in, in that's all in bad place writing or that uh, script they're using. Uh but it matched. We couldn't read Matt's memo, but it had to do with something coming up uh, regarding future something rules, I don't know. Uh, then we see that having four humans inside her void is not good for Janet because she sings a little share. Uh And then we go back and you know, shes we see that she, for the whole episode, Janet's going to play all the roles of the humans, or for the majority of it. And uh, the Eleanor Janet uh, conjures up a puppy. Uh, oh, in the waiting room in the accountant's office, there's a, individual lockers in the waiting room. And then they say the head accountant will see you now, and we see that the head accountant is none other than Stephen Merchant, uh, and he has a mug that says "Existence's Best Boss." He, he kind of plays like a role—not a David Brent role, but a, more of like a office drone role. A quad turn, Eleanor and cheaty. A quick tour. He's like, You guys want a quick tour of my office? Then we go back to Eleanor and Cheaty Janet's uh They're talking about their other lives in the love story. Uh but Janet Cheaty's like, that wasn't me. That was a cheat that was another cheating. not not the Cheaty I am. Uh and it's something not some Cheaties. Janet makes or er, Janet Eleanor Janet makes accidentally makes more puppies. Yeah, we see some of the departments in the accountant's office. Walter, he works in borrowing, parentheses money, which is a cubicle or something. Is J2-3, strange sign, 8, uh, dash, or 8, strange sign, dash, 3. Uh, my handwriting is uh, m- Mildy or some, m- somebody Uh, Mike Milk, it says, but I know that's not the person's name. Uh, uh, He's in charge of impressions, parentheses, Borat. uh, And then we see Stacy, who's in charge of songs with specific dance instructions. Uh, So those are some of the things that will get you to the bad place, apparently. uh, Maybe. We kind of get, like, a cool behind-the-scenes, some of the workings uh, the not-so-well-workings of the uh, afterlife judgment system. And, yeah, just uh, the head accountant shows us the main feed, which is a kit, kit computer, like a, com- a computer, an old computer. Everything, the technology is dated, which I guess fits for a bureaucracy. And it's in a wood frame, so it's almost like a kit computer, like you build your own one. Yeah, here's a little pro tip. Don't do destination weddings. It's negative 1,200 points a themed destination wedding is negative 4300 points so an extra 3100 points just for having a themed destination wedding and if you have a destination lord of the rings themed wedding a lot of negative points uh we see the pronoun for richard moore i think was his name he was uh he was like putting coins in a gourd and then we see somebody. I can't read this. Ward or Mark. Uh, he was in charge of. Uh. uh um. All, not just like uh, judging. Ninety-nine uh, percent of the time, new behaviors are sexual that humans invent, uh, that the accounting office has to judge uh, whether they're a positive or negative uh, point system. And, uh, this one, yeah, is like, uh, stuffed, oh, let's see, the people in the stuffed vegetables, uh, somebody with an A is in charge of stuffed vegetables, somebody, Hector's in American Coins, and Matt is, uh, in charge of the uh, SEX things, and they find out that putting coins in a gourd or something is negative 9.8884 points, uh, and that that's double-checked by 3 billion accountants, uh, so it's always correct. Uh, they also use, at first I thought it was vacuum tubes for the mail, but I think it, then I looked it up, it's pneumatic tubes. And they send all the records to the good place or the bad place. Uh, I think people's records are something. Uh, but the head accountant says, you know, this system is flawless. Uh, then Michael says, huh, well, you know, I'm not sure about that. Uh, can we see, what about Doug Forsett's file? Can we see that? Uh, then we bounce back uh, to uh, Chidi, Ellen, uh, Chidi Janet, or Janet Chidi, is teaching Ethics 101. And I have trouble right, getting some of these notes and Actually, maybe it's coming up here. Uh, but at first it says, it's just on the chalkboard, Professor Chidi Anagonye, Conceptions of the Self. Uh, then there's a note here for me to pause it, so let me see if I can find it. Uh, because it says, there's, I think it says Derek Parfait is one of the people being quoted, who uh, was from 1992 to uh, 2017. Then I said, "Is that the Derek from season two? Uh, and I, I said, "Well, maybe." But they, and they explained uh, uh, he, he he talked about the the, the the this Derek Parfait or whoever. Uh, explained intention and identity uh, with a split, uh, like he said, hey, if you took yourself and then you uh, divided yourself uh, into two selves uh, or or the essential parts of yourself, which one would you be? Oh, which is a real self? Derek Parfait, it is, Derek Parfait. Uh, And they also were talking about John Locke. Uh, Which one is me? Uh, so that's kind of the questions Chidi's pr- proposing. Then, uh, Eleanor, like uh, person A, person B, or person C. Or if person A is split into person B and C, uh, it's a thought experiment. Then which one is you, person B? You, should, you know, this is not exactly stuff you want to be contemplating when you're trying to sleep. Uh, but it, maybe it could push you to sleep because you say, well, I guess it does it really matter. Uh yeah, but in conceptually it does, uh, especially to cheat you at this moment. Then we see the books of Doug's. Uh, they use real books that have computers and screens built into them in the accountant's office. Uh, I think that was just a cool to use, a, a, like, a book of Doug's. It brings up the electronic file. It said Douglas is his real name. He has four, 520,000 points. Douglas Forsett, uh L. Forset actually, uh, and he's 68 years old, so that's not qualifying for the good place. There was even a grid with something moving on it. I wasn't sure if that was Doug Forsett. Uh, Michael says, how can that be? We're just there. He's living this excellent life. Not, not exactly fulfilling. Michael doesn't say that, but uh, he says, geez, uh and they, uh, the accountant says, no, the system really works. Let me show you the first point uh from 2001, 993 BCE. Oog gives a rock to, rock to Groog gr- 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 or something. Uh, first incident of altruism. Uh, then a uh, poor guy shows up uh, because Burning Man started. Then we're back to the lessons. We're talking about David Hume. Uh, bundled ego or something. Uh, Jason's not there anymore. Changing impressions. Oh, Jason's in a broken hot tub with Pillboy, in the drinking forties. And then Pillboy says, "Oh, Dip, uh, uh, please." Uh, uh, Jan- the real Janet comes and says, "Quit messing around." Uh, who is getting in? Uh, this is your name. Last three years, okay. So Janet comes and sends the hot tub back. Then Janet, real Janet, is having trouble with Michael. She says, so "Hurry up, Michael." Uh, Michael says, "Okay." Uh, basically, he goes, "Okay, let's figure out who got in, in the last three years." So, uh, like, uh, like three years ago, he says, uh, "Last or this year, no one. Last three years, no one." And there's lots of funny typing, uh, which is always funny watching people fast type. Uh, comedy typing, underrated for me. You say, Scoots, what's your favorite form of subtle I say typing? Who's your favorite typist? Well, Michael Janet, or maybe now uh, the account, head accountant. Uh, and they say, well, last time someone got into Good Place was 521 years ago. And Michael says, well, do do, do you think that's a working system then, dude? Then we see Janet's breaking up. Uh, Janet, Jason, and Janet Chidi have a nice talk. uh, Until Janet Jason says, let me tell you a story about my 80-person dance crew. And Janet Chidi says, I thought it was a 60-person dance crew. And then he's like, wait a second, you're Eleanor Janet pretending to be Jason Janet. Uh, then Janet kind of does an I Dream of Genie" thing with her nose, or I don't know which show. There's two of those, Bewitched and I Dream of Genie. Just until now, I said, there's a show, other show, other than I Dream of Jeannie. These were old shows before my time even, though they were on Nick at Night. I didn't really watch either one of them, but I'll talk about that. Uh, then there's a break. Uh, then there's this far shot, and it zooms into uh, Eleanor and Chidi talking, the, the kind of... Uh, the voids breaking up. Eleanor Janet keeps switching, and then we go to real Janet. She says, "Well, the, somewhat Eleanor's sense of self is crumbling." So uh, then they say, J- "You should get a hold of it together, Eleanor." Uh, Where okay? Then we have this interesting, uh, funny little thing of uh, Tahani, Janet, and Jason. Janet are walking. And they're leaving dots behind them. Jason has aqua dots and uh, Tahani has purple dots. And there's these giant signs they're walking past. Uh, One says, uh, uh, lost, uh, head this way, which is the opposite direction uh, from where they're pointing. Then two other signs say, uh, where you came from. And it points the opposite direction they're going. And then they stumble on this giant flat screen. It says, you ask Janet for help with. It's a search engine. And I think the button says Janet, too. And it's also audible because Jason says something. It's cartoons for Jason. It says Jason, all these exclamation points. And then there's a Jason and Janet kind of fan page. It has their wedding album. Their wedding album kind of points to an E, on Jeremy Bearamy. So I don't know if that's Janet's Jeremy Bear-me. Uh Let's see. Oh, then the, the, the accountant says, we're going to, he goes, I guess that's it. If you want to stick around, though, we're going to celebrate Marisol's birthday. She's $39 million again. Uh, and then Michael kind of says, what are you saying? Dude, like no one got into the good place. You know, uh, Harry Tubman, uh, Salk, uh, not one single golden girl. I said, wait a second, are, what are the Golden Girls, are, are? some of them are still with us, that's why, Michael, I hope, uh, and then he says, take it up with the committee, which was only a small mention, but I guess because I watched these so many times, they said, okay, that's a pretty por- important thing, and then the accountant does the Willie Walker, Gene Wilder Willy Walker, he says, good day, sir. Uh, And Michael goes, well, who's going to help us now? And Janice says, it has to be you. You have to fix it, uh, but marbleize me first. Uh, Then we go back to Chidi and Eleanor uh, kind of talking. Oh, Chidi's trying to keep Eleanor uh, her sense of self. He says, uh, uh, remember who you are. Your emergency contact is Britney Spears. Uh, Your favorite movie is when... uh, uh, John Travolta was, was a YouTube video of John Travolta saying Adele Kazim. And uh, then she finally they have S S I N G, and it has a magic three hundred and three hundred and sixty degree spin around. They both say big breath. She says nice work, bud. Then they have K I S K I K double K I double S uh and they double it because they have a second one. And then we're back. Janet's okay, but then she is out all of the, um, humans, uh, or post-humans. Uh, everyone's safe. Uh, so Michael says, that's good news. Bad, you know, uh, the account says more good news cake for everybody. And Michael says, this has no plan. This doesn't make any sense. Uh, so I'm going to do it. Uh, uh, and then he takes the cake out of the accountant's thing and just throws it ground. He says, go. He grabs a book of dogs. Uh, he asks for a volunteer uh, to go through the pneumatic tube to the good place. And Jason volunteers, and then everybody follows him. Uh, and they come out in like an old mailbox in like an old school mail office. Uh, kind of an 1800s feel, but I have no idea. Uh, and then. Uh, uh, Eleanor says, where the fork are we? And finally, uh, you know, episode concludes with holy forking shirt balls. Uh, so they're supposed to be in the good place, maybe, hopefully. Maybe they'll look for this committee in the second half of this season. Good place get renewed for a fourth season, which is great. Uh, so a lot of good news. I don't know how many episodes are coming up in the second half of, the, of this season uh, or when they'll be at January at some point, but... Uh, You know, it's it's good news. So so let's do some of this research now. Okay, so let's see. Janet's a good place. Let's see what came up in this episode here. Dot Matrix printer was one thing. And according to Wikipedia, so this is a printer we had, I think, in the 90s even. Uh, Oh, wow. We'll see. Maybe even uh, into the aughts. Uh, I don't know in the last, I think I had one in the 80s maybe, uh, maybe it's the 90s. No, I had one in the 90s. Uh, a dot matrix printer is an impact printer that prints using a fixed number of pins or wires. Uh, in contrast, inkjet jet and laser jet printers typically exhibit dot matrix printing, but they're not considered dot matrix printers. Uh, impact versus non-impact is one way printers are divided into cl- two classes. Uh, Uh, They use a a vertical column of pins which fire and thus force contact between the paper and an ink-soaked ribbon. Oh, so just a a bit like a typewriter. In the 70s and 80s, they were considered the best combination of cost and versatility uh, until the 90s and were by far the uh, most common form of printer with personal and home computers. Uh, the first one was the Centronics 101, and they had parallel electronic interface. I think that was a car cord you always had to friggin' buy, or you had. I think originally you needed your own uh, printer card. Yeah, and then the, the USB came out, but printers, you know, they still it's like you, you, they sell them without a cord. They say holy mackerel, and then the whole thing with the ink. Uh, let's see. But now, like wireless printing, I guess there's not much they can do now. Nineties uh, by the dawn of the nineties, it says inkjets were more common. Uh, let's see, they have a lot of different ones, low cost. Uh, in the eighties, the price uh, they uh, they became faster and more versatile than daisy wheel printers. I remember the IBM Selectric uh, there was a daisy wheel typewriter. And then the increase of pin, how, pin count at the pin, pin, pin printhead from 7 to 8 to 9 to 12 to 18 to 24 to 27 to 36, uh, which permitted better uh, superior print quality and to, to go to more uh, diverse markets uh, with more complicated printing in, in their languages. Uh, ESP Epson's 24 print uh, LQ series was the new standard. And, you know, I don't think I ever, I think, I don't think I, as manufacturing costs declined, uh, the 24-pin printers were replaced by nine-print ones. Uh, uh, I don't understand that. Uh, Near-letter quality mode. You know, I don't know if they could, could they do that? I guess so. Uh, so, I don't know. It definitely was not, you know, it would make this like a squealing noise as it went across. Uh some of you might remember Dot Makeshreprender. Some of you luckily I guess you were spared from it. Uh in everyone in the last uh, twenty or 30 years may may or may not, may not know Stephen James Merchant, uh who's known for his collaborations with Ricky Gervais and Carl Pilkington. Uh he was a uh, director and writer for The Office Extras, a Ricky Gervais show, uh Life Too Short, uh, uh, Carl Pilkington's different shows. And really just a great surprise, uh, someone I, someone I, I guess I, I really look up to, very tall. I mean, I didn't even mean it in that way. I hear Matt Lieber's tall, too. I've never seen Matt Lieber in person, but I uh, wonder who's taller, Stephen Merchant or Matt Lieber. I mean, I, knew, I know I saw a picture of uh, uh, from the set where he was kind of towering over everybody, Stephen Merchant. Yeah, uh, but he's been a podcast, I mean, that's one of the reasons I got into podcasting was uh, Ricky Gervais, Carol Piltington, Stephen Merchant, I r- drove uh, across the uh, Northwest uh, to listen to that podcast, and like, uh, it was like 2006, uh, 2007, it bought, pay, paid for the one of the seasons of the podcast, or maybe even another one, uh, let's see, what else do we need to know? Uh, I don't know. Just a shout out. Uh, according to Wikipedia, he lives in a home once owned by Ellen Ellen, uh, so Ellen DeGeneres, of course. Uh, uh, he's six foot seven, uh, so he's pretty tall. Uh, while uh, graceful grasshopper Russell Brand calls him, uh, uh, he prefers to talk about a similarity to Peter Crouch, uh, who's also six seven. And, yeah, I think that's it. Uh, yeah, I guess that's a little bit about Stephen Merchant and the b- beloved. Uh, and b- to, speaking of beloved uh, people, let's talk about uh, uh, believing in share. And just a little bit about share. Cher. Uh, commonly referred to by the media, according to Wikipedia, as the goddess of pop, uh, uh, she gained popularity in 65, 1965 uh, with uh, as uh, half of Sonny and Cher when their song "I Got You, Babe" hit number one on the British and American charts. Uh, within two years, it sold 40 million records, uh, and according to Time, they were it, the it couple of rock. Uh, uh, Cher also started her uh, solo career. Uh, and, uh, you know, then they had the in the seventies, the Sonny and Cher comedy hour watched by over 30 million weekly viewers during its 30 year, three year run. Uh, and this was just a start. Uh, she was a trendsetter. Uh, she was working on, uh, uh, TV disco. Uh, she did one of the, fir- like early concert residency in Las Vegas in 80 to 82. Uh, in 82, she also hit Broadway. Uh, then she started hitting Motion Pictures, uh, Silkwood Mask, Moonstruck. Uh, and she got the Academy Award for her performance in Moonstruck. Uh, she was also releasing albums during that time, Cher, Heart of Stone, Love Hurts. And, you know, there's some some, like, if I could turn back time, I don't know if I would, because, like... Uh, it was then I would be before belief came out, which is a song that made me think of share or that. Well, it was pioneering use of audio tune. Also known as the share effect. Uh, she can continue touring did another uh, three year residency in Las Vegas, uh, returned to f- film, um, and uh, continues to be relevant and active in, in supporting people, uh, so that's just a little bit about Cher. Let's, th- this is a song you've never done in karaoke because I, I can't quite get down the lyrics, but this would be one of my karaoke songs, uh, Believe by Cher. Yeah, which is, it says, you say, after love, after love, after love, after love, no matter how hard I try, you keep pushing me aside and I can't break through. There's no talking to you. It's so sad you're leaving. It takes time to believe it, but after all is said and done, you're going to be the lonely one. Do you believe in life after love? I can feel something inside me say, I really don't think you're strong enough. No. Do you believe in life after love? I can feel something inside me say, I really don't think you're strong enough. No. Uh, what am I supposed to do? Sit around and wait for you? Well, I can't do that. <laughs> that, there's no turning back Uh, I need to move on I need love to feel strong because I've had time to think it through and maybe I'm too good for you Uh, do you believe in life after love I can feel something inside me say I really don't think you're strong enough no well I know I'm going to get through this uh, because I know that I am strong I don't need you anymore Oh, I don't need you anymore. Yeah. Do you believe in life after love? I think we do. I, you know, we do. Uh, and thanks to Cher. Uh, what about pneumatic tubes? Uh, the, uh, the, the pneumatic tubes are, uh, or capsule pipes and pipelines, also known as pneumatic tube transports, are systems that propel cylindrical containers through networks of tubes by compressed air or partial vacuum. Uh, They're used for transporting solid objects as opposed to conventional pipelines, which transport fluids. I've always found this fascinating. Uh, uh, Pneumatic tube networks gained acceptance in the late 19th and early 20th century for offices that needed to transport small urgent packages over relatively short distances, like within a building or at most within a city. Uh, some installations grew to great complexity, but most were superseded. Uh, but in some places, like uh, they still get used to, like hospitals, uh, and they've been extended and developed. The uh, only time I've got used one that I know about is uh, at banks. A small number of pneumatic systems were built for larger cargo, at, and that's what I think Muskie might be working on, is something similar to that. Uh, a pneumatic tra- capsule transport was invented by William Murdoch. Uh, it was considered a novelty until the invention of the ca- capsule in 1836. Uh, the Victorians used them to, to transmit telegrams from uh, to buildings from telegraph stations. Uh, Josiah Latimer Clark, 1854, had a patent for conveying letters or parcels between places by pressure of air and vacuum and put one in the uh, Sta- London Stock Exchange and the Electric Telegraph Company, uh, Pneumatic Dispatch. Uh, they were also used for small parcels and documents in cash carriers at uh, banks and supermarkets. Uh, they're still in use, but on a smaller scale. Uh, while its used for communicating information has been superseded, uh, they're still getting used to uh, transport small objects. Like before, ATMs drive-up banks used it, uh, uh, so they could have more than one lane. It was the only place they used it. Some factories use them to deliver parts across large campuses. Uh, larger stores use them to still move uh, excess cash. Nationals, NASA, NASA's uh, mission control center had pneumatic tubes uh, connecting consoles with staff support rooms. Uh, Denver International Airport has a new, has many uh, pneumatic tube systems. Uh, oh wow! Uh, even one for ticketing and parking cont- park, parking toll collection. Uh, they've been used in science to transport samples. Uh, in McDonald's that closed in 2011 in Minnesota had the world's only pneumatic drive-through. Now that would be cool uh new, there is a new interest in it uh so the postal service used it i don't want to see like what cities used it because uh, they think some of it's hard to tell like the difference between fiction and fantasy you know Uh let's see uh well we've got uh yeah there are some of them and they experimented with railways and stuff like that uh Technical characteristics. Oh, yeah, in fiction, Jewel Vern, Jules Verne had it. Uh, uh, Marcel Proust, uh, George Orwell, uh, Doc, Doc Savage Magazine, uh, Genesis 2. Uh, yeah, so here, let's see. A lot of it in, oh, there's even, I haven't seen the whole Polar Express, so I'll have to watch that because I guess there's one in there. Uh, so all really uh, interesting stuff. I, I mean, I guess I fantasize about, uh, like, cool stuff like that, or traveling by it. Now, that would be really exciting uh, to be, like, uh, to be able to go on that. Uh, okay, what about uh, CE, Common Era, uh, BCE? I forgot what you, I wrote down, oh, we'll we'll get to it. Oh, no, no, the wooden Ugin, Groog Exchange Rocks. Uh, that was in BCE. uh Which is a notation system for the world's most widely used calendar era. It it, uh, CE, BCE, and CE are alternatives to the Dionysian AD and BC system, Uh, since those are uh, but they're numerically equivalent. uh, Twenty eighteen CE corresponds to twenty eighteen AD, and four hundred BC to four hundred BCE. Um, Let's see. Uh, It's been traced back to 1615 when uh, Johannes Kepler uh, uh, used it. uh, Let's see. Origins. I think we talked about that. There's also other ways to describe common, which in Latin... Uh, contemporary use, uh, some academics in theology, education, and history have adopted CE and BCE. though so there's still some disagreement, uh, but major museums are, are starting to use it. Uh, use in te- textbook uh, TV shows. Uh, World Almanac switched over in 2007. Uh, England and Wales uh, introduced it in 2002 to their school curriculum uh in the u.s you know we still can of say like uh i don't know if you you know so it gets used uh, there's nothing super uh tangential in there what about electronic kits so there's like a kit computer so i looked that up uh this isn't it's say electronic kit was like a computer you would order and build just like when we talked about tvs uh Oh, well, that's on a Doctor Who episode, but like uh, you could order a TV kit back in the day. I think uh, so. It came with components, uh, and uh, the like uh, you would put together uh, construction of a single device, and uh, uh, like uh, sa- some soldering. Uh, some examples, the Altar eighty, eighty-eight, eighty. the first home computer was sold as a kit. Uh, so were other computers. Uh, but it just, I just thought, because some of these computers back, when you build them, they would have a wooden uh, thing, but nothing super interesting. What about I Dream of Jeannie? I think Jeannie uh, was the one who she she would she would uh, nod her head. I'm trying to think of Eleanor Janet who nodded her head or winked her nose. Yeah, but I Dream of Genie* was an American fantasy sitcom starring Barbara Eden as a 2,000-year-old genie and Larry Hagman as an a- astronaut uh, who eventually becomes her husband. It aired from uh, 1965 to 1970. Oh, wow, I would have put it earlier than that. Uh, it ran for five seasons, and 139 episodes. In uh, the pilot, uh, Captain Tony Nelson's on a space flight when uh, Stardust One comes down in a deserted island. He finds a strange bottle. He rubs it and uh, he uh, out becomes a genie. Uh, uh, they can't understand each other until he says that he wishes she, she could speak to him. Oh, on his instructions. Then per instructions, she blinks. So he wants to get rescued. And, uh, so she blinks in a rescue copter goes up, uh, very patriarchal show, I think, uh, uh, but I, I didn't really watch much of it, uh, uh, background. It was created by Sydney Sheldon in response to the success of the, oh, so it was a response to Bewitched, uh, uh, it was also inspired by, uh, the movie, uh, Brass Bottle, which had starred Tony Randall, Barbara Eden, and Burl Ives, uh, uh they were both Screen Gem Productions, uh, and the casting, they couldn't find a suitable person, uh, according, like, to a book on it, uh, they wanted to film season one in color, but NBC didn't want to pay for it, uh, because they didn't think it would last, uh, uh, Sheldon offered the, to pay the extra $400 an episode needed for color at the beginning of the uh, series. Uh, but the executive said, don't throw away your money. Oh, it has an opening narrated by Paul Freese, uh that mentions uh, the first few episodes did, uh, an expository, non-animated. Oh, so the opening season sequence is originally a non-animated expository opening narrated by Paul Freese, uh which mentions that Nelson lives in a mythical town named Cocoa Beach in a mythical state called Florida. It, then they had a famous kind of animated sequence uh, that got redone you know, when the show switched from black and white to color. Uh, I kind of remember that, uh, and it was done by Fr- Fritz Freeling. Uh, is, so, yeah, a little bit of it. Uh, oh, I think the music, I, I get all those music so- songs mixed up, but... Uh, So, yeah, better not comment on the music, Uh, but it has been sampled by DJs. Uh, uh, What about the year 1497? That was the last year someone made it to the good place. Uh, uh, So, let's see. There was the Bonfires, the Vanities in Florence, Uh, Cornish Rebellion, Marigo Vespucci uh, set out on a voyage, Uh, Pope Alexander... Did some stuff. John Cabot set sail from Bristol on the ship Matthew uh, heading west. Uh, Catholic monarchs uh, issued an ordinance uh, about uh, creating a system based on copper. It was used in almost all, it would be used in all parts of the Americas and uh, a basis for modern currencies, including the dollar. Uh, let's see, I'm just trying to. John Cabot uh, landed in uh, Newfoundland. Uh, Vasco da Gama headed out uh, from Lisbon. Another Cornish uprising. Uh, John, the King of Denmark, uh, won some stuff. Uh, it was a seven year peace between England and Scotland. Uh, let's see. I'm just trying to just see if anybody uh, looks like they could have made it. Ivan the Great was around, but he was still rolling. Births. So let's see who uh, Let's see who's born. Just, uh, I'm not recognizing any of these. Ernst Holland Francis of Denmark. Okay, here's some people who passed away. I was just trying to see anyone's name. Uh, a German banker, Barbara... Fugger, uh, July 23rd, uh, Philip II, the Duke of Savoy, uh, James Touche. So I don't know. I don't, I'm not recognizing any of these, uh, anyone that I'd say it was a definite lock. So it could have been a regular person. Uh, but yeah, it's just a little bit about, uh, that year, 1497, uh, a little bit about David Hume uh, was a Scottish Enlightenment philosopher uh, known for his highly influential system of uh, empiricism, skepticism, and naturalism. Uh, it places him with uh, Jean Locke, uh, George Berkeley, Francis Bacon, and Thomas Hobbes. Uh, he wrote a Treaty of Human Nature in 1739 and he wanted to create a total naturalistic science of humans uh, that expanded the psychological basis, examined the psychological basis of human nature. Uh, Against rationalists, uh, Hume held that passion rather than reason governs human behavior. Uh, Hume argued against the existence of innate ideas, uh, positing that uh, all human knowledge is founded in experience. And he, Hume thus held that genuine knowledge must be traceable to objects perceived in existence or result from abstract reasoning about relations between ideas derived from experience, calling the rest nothing but sophistry and illusion, a dichotomy later given in the name Hume's Fork. Uh, and what is sometimes referred to as Hume's problem of induction, he argued that inductive reasoning and belief in causality cannot be justified rationally. Instead, our trust in causality and induction result from custom and mental habit. Uh, so a lot of things. Uh, opposition to the theological argument for God's existence. Uh, He's a sentimentalist who held that ethics are based on emotion or sentiment rather than abstract moral principle. Uh, Virtue ethics. uh, uh, Hume concurred regarding traits of character rather than acts and their consequences. So there's a lot lot, lot more about David Hume, but I just wanted to give a little bit of do. And what about the song Had to Be You? Because Janice says it has to be you, Michael. Uh, uh, it's a popular song written by uh, Isham Jones with lyrics by Gus Kahn. It was first published in 1924. Uh, it was performed by Ruth Edding in the 1936 short film Melody in May, uh, by Priscilla Lane in the 1939 Roaring Twenties film by Ginger Rogers and uh, Cornell Wilde. In the 47 film It Had to Be You, uh, Uh, by Danny Thomas. Uh, I'll See You in My Dreams uh, by Joanne Drew. So it's been a lot of movies. Uh, It was the theme of Harry Met Sally, uh, which uh, finished in number 60 of AFI's 100 Years 100 Songs, top tunes in American cinema, and a lot of notable recordings. Let's see the most recent ones. Uh, Dean Martin, 1962. Tony Bennett, 1964. Barbara Streisand, 1966. Color me, Color me, Barbara. Uh, Diane Keaton, uh, Harry Connick Jr., for that was in Harry Met Sally. Rod Stewart, uh, Kenny G., uh, Tony Bennett, and Carrie Underwood. Elvis Costello, and Vince Giordano. And Michael Buble and Barbara Streisand. Holy cow, uh, 2014 album, Partners. So, uh, it's a little bit about it had to be you. you know, what about, let's close on altruism, because uh, that came up in this episode. Uh, won't get you in the good place, So Principle and moral practice of concern uh, for happiness of, for other human beings and or animals resulting in quality of life, both material and spiritual. It is a traditional virtue in many cultures and a core aspect of various religious traditions and secular worldviews. Through the concept of others, towards who, who concern must should be directed, must be must be sure should be directed, uh, and can vary among cultures and religions. Uh, you've got uh, uh, Dharma. Uh, let's see. It's the opposite of self selflessness or versus selfishness self selfishness. Uh, it was coined by French philosopher Auguste Comte uh, for an antonym of egoism. Uh, altruism and biological observations in the field populations of day organisms in is an individual performing an action. Which is at no cost to themselves, which is at cost to themselves, uh, but benefits either directly or indirectly another third-party individual, without the expectation of re- reciprocity or compensation. So it would be a non-karmic action. Uh, yeah, it's like doing surprises for people without without them ever knowing. I think that's altruistic, I guess, but that has a, or does. Uh, Oh, it says an actor may per, re, receive an intrinsic reward in the form of personal gratification. The validity of this argument depends on whether intrinsic rewards qualify as benefits. Because uh, oh, it's like, are you being altruistic or loyal? Uh, true al- true altruism. Are you truly altruism? True altruism. There's uh, a longer article in here. Yeah, but yeah, that's it. Uh, Thanks, a good place, and thanks to you for listening. Good night.